There you go. And they're both in Sarah. There's this little flyer, a little postcard about Easter. It uh, talks about our Easter services. I want to encourage you to pray about someone you're going to hand this to this week or next. Uh, someone in your life, a coworker, friend, neighbor, whoever. And just say, hey, was wondering if you want to come to Easter services. There's this guy there. His name's Dave Sharp. He makes the best breakfast sandwiches ever. So uh, that's all you have to do or say. Um, uh, trust me, no one gets upset with you if you invite them somewhere, even if it's someplace they don't want to go. It's okay. So I encourage you, just pull this out, take this home with you, put it somewhere on your kitchen counter, or dining room table, uh, or your, your bedside table, wherever you, you kind of do a quick prayer, and then throw up a quick prayer and say, Lord God, who do you want me to give this to? And I promise you, God's going to lead you to someone. And he's going to tell you, it goes there. Because that's what happens when you ask God for things like that. Those things, those type of things just happen. And so, um, I encourage you, just put this somewhere in your home. Pray over it. And then uh, give it away. Okay. We're continuing our series on uh, the case for Christ. Uh, two weeks ago was a case for creation, how there is a first cause, and we look at creation, it screams design. And last week we talked about the text itself, how the text is early, it's accurate, and it represents the testimony of eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And today we're talking about the resurrection itself, and external evidences for the resurrection. Because either you, or someone you care about, does not trust the Bible. And you look at it, you read it, and go, well, that sounds nice, but I don't know if this is something I could trust. I don't know if I can put my faith in this. It sounds a little extreme to me. And that might be you. I promise you it's someone you know. And so today we're going to talk about things that talk about are pieces of evidence that point to the resurrection that are not the text itself. Um, little things that are outside the text that say, you know what, the resurrection is the most logical explanation for all these events. And the first thing we're going to start with is this. And even though it says the text rings true, oops, there you go, text rings true. The text rings true. And what I'm talking about is not the words themselves, but kind of what they talk about. Because the text for the resurrection is interesting in a number of ways. And the first part is this. The first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. You, anybody know? Women. Women are the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. In our culture, we're like, so what's the big deal? In first century Palestine, this is an incredible deal. It's incredible because oh, in that day and age, sadly, don't, don't blame me, it's not me, it's that day and age, back then, women were second-class citizens. In fact, a woman's testimony was not allowed in a court of law. And so if the story of the resurrection was made up, the women's being the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection would be the last thing you would make up. It's the last thing. In fact, the disciples or the apostles write it to their own embarrassment and shame. Because it should have been them. Why? Because Jesus told them, 
I'm going to suffer and die and the third day rise again. And they're like, we don't understand. Right? It happens three times in the Gospel of Matthew. The disciples should have been there, and they weren't. Who were? The women associated with the group. The text rings true. It has a note of authenticity. The second element is this thing right here. It's that the account is very non-dramatic. And what I mean by that is, if you were making this up, if you were writing this, you would write it like a Hollywood story, right? You would write it so that it was dramatic, so that all of Jerusalem know that Jesus is conquered and is risen from the grave, that Jesus is, is the victor, that Jesus is the terminator, that Jesus is the hero. And it doesn't happen that way at all. It's very odd how it takes place. In fact, if Hollywood to write it, if it were to be made up, it might look something like this. Now, come witness the miracle. Brothers, my time with you is almost over. But for now, let us eat. Eat this. dramatic enough. And so this dude writes a book and calls it the Gospel of Peter. It's in the second century. The early church knew about this. In fact, one author, one historian says, the Gospel of Peter is no gospel at all. Because the Gospel of Peter, written around the second century, a hundred years after the eyewitnesses, the tomb is sealed seven times. And all of Jerusalem comes out to witness the fact that the tomb is sealed. The Jewish leaders sleep in the cemetery overnight, which Jewish people would never, ever do. And then when Jesus arises, he bursts out of the tomb, becomes as big as the sky. There are two giant angels out there, and the cross walks and speaks. <laughs> and the resurrection accounts, the eyewitness accounts, are nothing like that. 
In fact, they're just the opposite. And they confess to you that we really had no idea what was going to happen. It, it, it took us by surprise, too. If you have trouble believing it, so did we. Because we read this in Luke chapter 24. Okay. Okay, you're in charge, Zach. You push the buttons. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And this is the best part. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you hear that? This is, Jesus, this is the disciples after Jesus' death. And they're writing and confessing to you, the reader, yeah, we didn't believe it either. We had no clue. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition... Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, they did not see Jesus. This is classic. This is mansplaining at its best. So the women go and they're like, the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. And these dudes are like, Whatever, And they're walking away from Jerusalem, going to a town about seven miles away. They don't believe them. They don't believe them. That's how the first resurrection happened. And Jesus jumps on them. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then, beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and gave us the best Bible study in the history of mankind? They got up at once and returned at once to Jerusalem. The Greeks a little bit more specific. They hurried off to Jerusalem. They walked seven miles, and then they're running back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. Actually, those ladies... They were right. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them 
when he broke the bread. The text rings true. And also this. One more time here. Just me. I'm just going to raise my finger and Zach's going to push the button. Everyone acknowledges the empty tomb. Everyone acknowledges it. Even the enemies of Jesus acknowledge the tomb was empty. We see this in Matthew chapter 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And telling them, you were to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So, the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. What it means is this. Everyone knew the tomb was empty. Everybody. Otherwise, the story goes like this. He is risen. And the authorities go, no, he isn't. There's a body in the tomb. And the disciples say, no, we meant spiritually. In our hearts. Right? But that doesn't happen. They say, he is risen. And the authorities say, you took the body. And they say, no, we didn't take the body. He rose from the dead. In other words, everyone knew the tomb was empty. The only question was, why was it empty? That's the only thing that is in doubt. The empty tomb is historical fact. And it leads to this point. Let's say for the sake of the argument, the disciples uh, made it all up. Let's just say. Let's just say that they want to do this big hoax. They've been following Jesus for three years, and they're like, you know what? You look kind of silly right now. Let's just tell everyone he rose from the dead, and then we don't look so goofy, right? Let's just, for the sake of argument, let's say that. There's a point in every hoax where the gig is up. So when I was in middle school, uh, we decided to play a practical joke. You ever get those snappers? You know, those things you, you throw on the ground, they pop? Like, pop, like, you ever get those? They were awesome, all right? So we got like boxes and boxes of them in middle school. And we were at this mall. I don't say this with pride. We threw them like by the entrance to the mall. And so people would walk past, and they'd step on one, and they'd go, <laughs> they'd turn around and look, and we were hiding about 50 yards away behind this big boulder, you know? And we're like, <laughs> And so we just watched people step on it and jump and look at it. One time this one kid came through and he stepped on it and he jumped. And he's like, oh, he starts popping them all. Like, ah, that's funny, that's funny. So we clean them, we clean them up. We clean them all up. We put a new batch down. Got behind the rock and waited. The very next people to leave the mall, there's this elderly man pushing his wife wheelchair and we went and they I promise you they wheeled past all the newly laid down poppers they had to roll on and stepped on at least five of them and they were all duds thank you God thank you God we'll never do this again we, we pick them all up there's a point in every hoax where the gig is up. 
And the more people who are in on the hoax, the sooner that happens. You all know this, right? And this happens at the point where someone sticks, I was going to say stick a gun, they didn't have guns, sticks a cross on someone's back and says, are you sure? Every single one of the apostles were persecuted for the faith. Eleven of, them, eleven of them were killed for it. Now, people die for something they believe in all the time. Nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. No one. And the early church was persecuted not because they believed that Jesus Christ was Lord and risen from the grave. They believed that Jesus Christ was the only Lord. Romans were polytheistic. They had lots of gods. They didn't care if Jesus was one other god. The problem with the Christians is they believed that Jesus was the only god. And that's why they killed him. So if you were in on the hoax, it would be a really good time to say, Oh, kidding. <laughs> kidding. No, uh, my bad. And none of them did. They all went to the grave saying, We saw them. Song. The disciples, they, they died for their beliefs. And not only that, but previous skeptics in the faith died as well. We see this conversion of skeptics. So, you know, the Apostle Paul persecuted the church and then later became a follower of Jesus and went all around the Roman Empire talking about Jesus' resurrection from the grave, that Jesus is Lord and God. But did you also know that James, stepbrother of Jesus, was a skeptic too? Did you know that Jesus' own family couldn't, didn't know what to make of him? We see it in Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. How many of you have read that before? I mean, you're going, I had no clue, right? Yeah. Jesus' own family did not know what to do with them. And this continues on throughout Jesus' ministry until the resurrection. And after the resurrection, James, stepbrother of Jesus, becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And then he also dies for the faith. So we see this changes the key social structure as well. This is interesting. I'm going to fly through, but it's really important. How many of you know any uh, Hittites? Have you ever met a Hittite? No? No. Parasites. How many of you have ever met a parasite before? Not a parasite. You're like, yeah, that's my brother-in-law. Right? No, no, not a parasite. A parasite. Parasite. Okay? No one? No one? Uh, an Ammonite. How many of you have ever met an Ammonite before? No, you haven't. These are all ancient uh, cultures and people the same time as the Jewish people. How many of you have ever met a Jewish person before? Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't it funny that that one culture and people group survives throughout the centuries when none of the others have? 
And the reason that one people group has survived throughout the centuries is because there were some key social structures that were absolutely critical to them, that they believed that God had given to them and they were going to maintain no matter what. And then Jesus comes along and everything changes. The sacrificial system. So Jews believe that once a year you gather together and sacrifice an animal to atone for their own sins. And then there are these Jesus Jews, about 10,000 of them, five weeks after Jesus' crucifixion. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. There's a thing called the Mosaic Law. And the Jews followed this Mosaic Law and maintained their cohesion as a people. And five weeks after Jesus' crucifixion, about 10,000 of them go, uh, you know what? That's not what makes you part of the community. Following Jesus makes you part of the community. Overnight. There's a little thing called the Sabbath, right? And Jews worship the Sabbath. They worship on the Sabbath. No work on the Sabbath. I mean, how many of you have been to Israel recently? On the Sabbath day, did your elevator stop at every single floor? Because it's Sabbath. The Jews aren't allowed to do work, so they don't push the elevator button. It stops at every single floor, so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. They're serious about Sabbath. And then after the crucifixion, about five weeks later, about 10,000 of these Jesus Jews were like, you know, Sabbath is good, but we worship on Sunday too because that's a resurrection day. And then there's monotheism. The Jews were strictly monotheist, and no one else was at that day and time. Nobody else was. And then there are these Jesus Jews who are like, we're monotheists too. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only did they change key social institutions, they made new social institutions as well. Zach's going to fly through that. They added this thing called communion. Sometimes they call it Lord's Supper. Sometimes they call it Holy Communion. But they added this. It was a meal that they would celebrate together. And they'd say things like, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. A little different, huh? It's interesting. It's unique. Now, imagine. Imagine if you had a group of people who really liked Martin Luther King, Jr., and so they, they, would, they liked him so much they would gather together on like a weekly basis, say, for instance, and they would read like his, his letter from a Birmingham jail. They would read some of his sermons. They would read some of his writings, his speeches. They would share those together. They might even share a meal together as part of that. You could see that happening, right? They'd celebrate his work in equal rights and civil rights. But what they would never do they would never celebrate the day he was assassinated. It was just April 4th. That's when it happened. April 4th, 1969. No one celebrated April 4th with Martin Luther King. No one celebrated that day. We celebrate his day. When is Martin Luther King Jr. day? For his birthday. That's the day we celebrate His birthday. We don't celebrate the day he was assassinated. Now, here are these Jesus Jews. And they start celebrating the day their, father, their leader was killed. It makes absolutely no sense at all, unless they're also celebrating that leader's resurrection, too. And they do that with baptism. 
And Beth mentioned in the prayer that in baptism, the old Adam is drowned and a new man is raised to life in baptism. And we know for a fact, outside the Bible, that that rite of baptism begins super, super early, within a couple years of Jesus' crucifixion. So there you have it. External evidence of the resurrection. Each point on its own isn't very strong. But you take all those points together, and the most logical conclusion is the miraculous one. Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. And here's the crazy thing. It changed those people. When you read the Gospels, and you read about the apostles and the disciples, it's not impressive. They are neither courageous, nor bold, nor wise. Ever. In the Gospels. And after the resurrection, you read the book of Acts, and everything changes. They're brought in before the same group of people who had Jesus crucified. And they're like, we can't stop talking about him. We can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. If you're going to stop us, you're going to have to kill us. This was not the disciples before the resurrection. But it's them after the resurrection. Because you can't stop someone who's not afraid of death. And this is my prayer. Try to go through all this stuff is that you might know the power of Jesus' resurrection. That when you're not afraid of death, you're not afraid of anything, that you might know that power, that you might know that joy, that Jesus Christ died and rose for you, all things are yours. When Jesus says, I'm dying, I'm rising, so that one day I can take you home to be with me. <laughs> and we cling so hard to the stuff of this world. Jesus is like, stop clinging. Dude, the tomb is empty. It's empty. That you might know the peace of the resurrection. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, did all of this for you. You might know the love of his resurrection. That he does it all for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to know you and your resurrection. May your resurrection impact every single aspect of our lives. May it impact our anxieties, May it increase our joy. May your resurrection uh, secure our, our foundation and our hope in you. May your resurrection give every day meaning and purpose. And Lord, by your grace, may your resurrection give me life. Life to the full. Amen.
stand and praise God.